We are live. Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling, the Q&A specialist, according to producer Xander, who likes to mix that up. If you're missing out on these live streams and seeing the video and all the clever stuff Xander comes up with, you're missing out. MicroConfOnAir.com every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We live stream for 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm excited to once again be live streaming with my gorgeous library behind me and the great, a great Minneapolis lake in front of me. So it's already snowed twice this year, although most of it still is melting. And US Thanksgiving is next week. So I believe we won't be doing a live stream next week and we'll see you back again in early December after this. Today's topic is question and answer. We've had so many good episodes of Q&A and they seem to be really popular. There's a lot of engagement. I've answered a few questions. I've had some folks come on and join me and we wanna just dip our toe in the water further and, and figure out how to make things as relevant as possible for you, the, the audience members, and you know perhaps you, the listener, if you're listening to this on the MicroConf podcast as well. And so we're going to be toying around with things over the next few weeks, few months, and bringing some guests on to help kind of categorize or, or shrink the, the word I'm looking for is to narrow the focus of some of the questions down to the expertise of a particular founder or subject matter expert. So to kick us off this week with that in mind, I would love to welcome Matt Wensing to the show. He's the founder of Summit, which is usesummit.com, which is a financial modeling platform. I call it a forecasting platform for SaaS applications. Matt is the co-host of the Out of Beta podcast. He hosts that with Peter Sum. If you're not listening to it, you should check it out. It's two mostly bootstrap founders having week-to-week conversations for about 45 to 60 minutes about what they're up to as makers and managers. And Matt is the founding, he's the founding CEO of RiskPulse, which was acquired in 2019. He enjoys writing code and essays about growth and new forms of capital. Mr. Wensing, thank you for joining me on the show today. Uh oh. Producer Xander, what's our issue? So Matt, yeah, Matt's muted. There we there we go. My issue hey, was sir. I had to click the microphone button. Hey, good to be here, Rob. I do that all the time. Yeah, man. Thanks. You got a cool little uh, purple mic cover there. I'm digging that. On brand. Oh, all in fashion. He's got his Joe. Yeah, you did. The, it's got the Joker uh, Joker color theme. So we already have questions coming through for you, man. This is good. I'm excited. First question from Noah Bragg. So, so if you want to ask questions, please do. We'll be fielding them for about the next 23 minutes. And MicroConf on air is the channel in the MicroConf Connect Slack. If you're not in MicroConf Connect, head to microconfconnect.com to sign up. First question is from Noah Bragg. He says, Matt Wensing, when are you going to start hiring a team for Summit? <laughs> I know, isn't that, but you're like, dude, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, just top shelf right away. Yeah, maybe I can answer this in a way that's a little bit more helpful if I think about my reasoning here. And so I was actually answering this question for an investor yesterday, and I think it really comes down to when do I feel like some part of what I'm doing has effectively been, you might say, de-risked or turned into something that somebody else could do in a way where I'm just really confident that their time and the money being spent on them by the company is, is well spent, right? Where you don't have that doubt. And I am definitely stretched thinner and thinner, but not quite there yet. I would say early next year is my is my guesstimate for that. I, I do feel that there are now things in the business where 
hey, I've figured this out. I know how this works. You just got to do it. Somebody just needs to turn this wheel <laughs> every day. And it would be totally worth it for somebody to do that. I just have to work on the resources now <laughs> to staff that position. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think you make a great point here. I often think about it as two things. One is, do I have the budget? And two, do I have tasks or projects that someone else could do that it doesn't require essentially a founder or a founder level, like an owner level mindset. And that's how you mm -hmm. broke it down and early next year. It's a good answer, yeah. man. I hope. Uh, second question, Dave Wasmer. I think it's a little jokey question, but I'll read it anyways. He says, Matt Wensing, have you and Peter Stum considered changing the name of your podcast to Out of Metaphors? Definitely the most metaphor-dense startup podcast I listen to, <laughs> and I love it. Great stuff. Love listening each week. That's funny. Uh, we haven't, but I have been accused of I've been accused of stuffing many metaphors into things before. So that's not the first time I've heard that positive complaint. <laughs> yeah, uh, or commentary. So yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm glad. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, metaphors are good for framing things that may be too complex yeah. or just thinking about them in a different way. Yeah, actually, a real quick thought, I think there's a book which I didn't grab, I really should have given everybody's feedback, but just reading a little bit of it, it's basically saying that we can only learn through metaphors or relationships to things we already know. And if you wanna really dive into the current world, that's what positioning, I think that's what April Dunford and positioning and all that is all about. You're effectively saying, let me help you triangulate what the heck I'm doing and what I'm talking about. So yeah, it's a, you're gonna see that all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that thought. I was going to bring positioning in too. I remember talking to a founder and we were chatting through uh, their website. I went to the website and the H1 said something very vague of, we help you send a better email or I don't remember what it was, but something like that. And I was like, so are you like Gmail or are you like cold email outreach? Like yes, where? Or are you like MailChimp or are you like, and what I realized is, all I'm doing is trying to relate you to some, a category that's mm -hmm. already in my head. I know there's an email client yeah. or, and I know that yep. there is a cold email. I know that there's warm email. I know that there is a marketing email. I know, and that's what positioning yeah. comes back to. And that's how metaphors help us is how do I link this yeah. to something already in my own head? Yeah. And very concretely, I think the integrations that your product requires and the integrations that your product can support these days are like the shortcut to people figuring that out in a way. It's like, oh, you read from my Stripe and you feed into my whatever, like instant positioning in a way, um, at least you're technical. So that is another way to almost self-diagnose or help others diagnose your positioning is uh, even if you don't have the best words, it's like, oh, if you integrate with these three tools, you're probably, you're not any of those, <laughs> but you, you, know, you, you enhance those. I think that's definitely something that I've been thinking about with Summit. Yeah, you had a cool description of Summit, I believe, on the first time you came on Startups for the Rest of Us, where you said, Bear Metrics, Chart Mogul, and Profit Well essentially look backwards. They're your analytics or your metrics, and Summit looks forwards, looks ahead. And I was like, ah, that's, that's forecasting, right? That's why I say that. But I know it's more than that now. It's modeling and all that. But that's a sure. really, that hit me very poignant as a, because I'm not an MBA. I'm not a sophisticated startup founder in that respect. But I did know my numbers sure, sure. and I do know what forecasting yeah. is and means. So I thought that was a nice yeah. way to explain it. All right. Uh, follow up from Noah Bragg. He says, at what point do you think you will be to the growth stage with Summit? Oh, man. Hard to predict, huh? Yeah. The way I look at the business is a, I'm trying to build, and I talk about this on the podcast, I'm trying to build a company that is essentially a series of processes. And what I mean by that is the process of bringing on a new user, 
onboarding them, getting them into the product, getting them to activate. We, we know the steps, right? The, the pirate metrics, if you will, the R. There's that kind of classic funnel, but now we're learning, oh, they're not just linear funnels. Actually, once people are really excited and using the product, like there's upsells and referrals and it, it's a whole loop. To answer the question then using that framework, I think it'd be more uh, about when will the whole diagram of the business be complete enough where growing one part of it is actually where the next, that's the next high leverage point. Because if you have a funnel and there's giant holes in it, growth really hopefully means just fixing the, the giant holes, like completing the bucket in the first place or completing the diagram. I think it really comes down to when is that initial loop or when is that initial diagram complete so that you can go, okay, everything's at least a one, not a zero. <laughs> we have conversions. We have this. Now we're going to focus on growth. Where's the bottleneck? Where are the constraints? And like that to me is the definition of growth phase. It's when you realize we're not just turning things on for the first time, which is what a founder does. We're, we're growing them from a one to a five to a 10 to a hundred. And I'm not there yet. I've still got zeros in several places <laughs> that I need to fix. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, when next year sometimes the hope. Yeah. yeah. And and that's the thing to think about is like in this early stage, typically it's whether you believe that pre that product market fit is a thing or exists or whatever, there is a moment where you have a product that really starts resonating with people and that people are really anxious to pay for, even if it's a small subset. Mm -hmm. Before that point, before product market fit, it is a lot of what you're saying, which is fixing leaks in the bucket. It's looking at a funnel and saying, oof, that number is not, it's not there. And you need to yeah. drive just enough traffic so that you can tell where the leaks are but really yeah. no more because you don't want to burn people out on your product. The summit is, eh, it's not that great or whatever. You don't want that to be in people's head. I know that yeah. the age old thing of, hey, if you're not embarrassed by your, your MVP or your first version, <laughs> then you launch too late. Yes and no. There's, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? There's trade-offs. Yeah, yeah. For, for sure. I think the thing that people, it's not the next feature, but it is the minimal set of features, plural. And it's, Summit doesn't integrate with accounting systems yet. Wait, it's a financial modeling product that doesn't integrate with QuickBooks or Zero. Like yeah. people are using it, but they're almost swimming against the stream, which is a good, people are willing to use it even though it's missing this giant thing. So part of me goes, once I have that, then there's a lot more confidence that the wheel is complete, the circle's complete, and you can focus on growth until you have that. Yeah, people show up and they're like, how do I integrate my blank? Oh, you can't. Oh. Okay, when are you going to have that? <laughs> you know? And that's how it's not maybe ready yet is people are asking you for the missing thing and it's so obvious that you should have it, but you don't yet. Yeah. yeah. All right, next question. This one is from Tremaine Tyler and it's a little bit of a long one. So follow me on this. He says, my product is a social intranet software like Microcom, I'm sorry, Microsoft Teams slash Facebook. Microsoft Teams slash Facebook combined. Okay, mm -hmm. but it's obviously, it seems like it's B2B. A lot of my competitors make it very difficult for their customers to sign up, do not give free trials or freemium. You have to fill out a form for a demo to get signed up. It sounds like enterprise software. Is there some sort of hidden advantage to being difficult to get started with? Is there an advantage to weeding people out or what exactly is the goal there? Hmm. Yeah, the, there are trade-offs, right? The, the famous original play in this space was Yammer, which was a David Sachs company who they got acquired for a billion dollars by, I forget who, but uh, Yammer, David Scott, I think was the investor. But anyway, they, they built, they did social for enterprise and people were signing up for it. It was essentially like an internal Twitter. So if you haven't looked at them, I would, but it was definitely a freemium play and it was the 
this was like 2005, six, seven, somewhere in there, the advent of freemium, like in the early days. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, look at this bottoms up adoption that they're getting. Like 500 people at Microsoft have signed up for this Yammer thing and they're all using it. And now to get it under control, corporate needs to buy an enterprise license to essentially make sure the network's being managed properly, that you're, <laughs> what's being said, what's being shared, like all of those enterprise features. And so in that sense, anything, something social like a Slack or, or a Yammer or one of those tools, I think really helps you get that enterprise deal, at least if that's your pitch. Hey, you can't just have this thing growing like a weed internally. Like you need to get this under control. Do you know what files are being put out there on the social, internal social network? But the drawback is you got to do a lot better lead qualification and farming of those, right? You got to get good at looking through I've had 2000, so I'm a summit is freemium. I've had 2000 signups since July 6, I want to say 2000 registered users means I can't manually go through those anymore <laughs> and sell them. Like I now, the trade-off is now I have to invest in product analytics and engagement analytics to figure out you have to do product qualified leads. So maybe I would, I would summarize by saying the trade-off is now you need to do product qualified leads. The advantage of being high friction is you're not doing product qualified leads, you're doing sales qualified. So you're having those conversations and making sure that people are a good fit and all that stuff. So it, I think the question just becomes like, when do you want to eat that cost of qualification? Are you okay delaying it and doing it in product? Or do you need that feedback in those conversations? First of all, because they might be a goldmine of, of insights. But second of all, you don't have the resources to support all those people, or you don't want to waste, you don't have the product analytics in place to really know who's qualified without a conversation. Like just think through how you're going to qualify people, I think would be my way of making that decision. And yeah, it, hopefully it grows like crazy either way. And you're okay. Rapid adoption of a product like that will cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So people were chiming in saying Microsoft acquired Gamer. So there you go. You okay, it, cool. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It was uh, years ago for 1.2 billion. One thought on that, and then I want to ask a follow up to it is, I see that if if your competitors are all not lot listing pricing and gating and doing the enterprise sales process, that's either an opportunity for you to do the opposite, mm -hmm. or it's a trap to do the opposite and they've already tried yeah. it. And that's what I would try to figure out is sometimes like I've tried to be, you can be too clever. And I've tried to do mm -hmm. that before where I'm going to zig when they're zagging and I just, I ate shit and it was the wrong way to do it. And they had tried it before. So if you can figure out yeah. if they've already tried it and if there's a reason now, a lot mm -hmm. of times people raise bu bucket loads of venture capital and they have to go up market because now they have to get really big, really mm -hmm. fast. And if you're a bootstrapper and you want to get to 10K, 50K a month, whatever, there may be a really nice opportunity for you. What's fun, Internet Wayback Machine is your friend. So load up somebody else in that space and look at their marketing and pricing pages and how they've evolved. Yep. And you'll be able to tell if they ever tried what you're thinking about. And, oh, after they raised a bunch of money, they went to what they're doing now. Like you can almost find a correlation. Internet Wayback Machine, I think, is an underused asset for that kind of stuff, zigging and zagging. Yep. And here's another, this is a pro tip just between you and me, Matt, because uh, yeah. nobody else is listening. But So something I did back in the day, I was trying to figure out uh, how to improve our sales process with Drip. And so I found like three or four sales, ex sales people from big competitors of ours, let's say Marketo or Infusionsoft or Pardot. And they were big marketing automation and they were used to be salespeople for them mm -hmm. and no longer were. And I messaged them on LinkedIn and I said, 
I run this company, it competes with your former employer. I just oh, yeah. have 30 minutes of your time to just ask questions. Every, I figured I'd get like a one out of 10. Every one of them scheduled a call with me because they're salespeople That's and awesome. they want to talk. Yeah, exactly. And then at the end, yep. some of them were like, hey, maybe I might want to work for you later. Or they were all like networking, right? Totally. That's what so I offered yep, to compensate, yep. like, hey, I'll compensate you as a consultant if you want. None of them took me up on it. And they, and I, yeah. one guy walked me through the entire, he's like within 15 minutes Brilliant. of a lead submitting their form, like we would be on the phone calling them, like they were warmly. And so he taught, walked me through this whole thing and I learned a bunch about affiliates and how they were using them and blah, blah, blah. So that's cool. another thing you can do if, if the Wayback Machine doesn't work for that competitor in particular. Yeah, that's is, great. Is there anyone who doesn't work for him anymore? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, good hack. All right. Hope that was helpful, Tremaine. Feel free to ask a follow-up uh, if you have one. Okay, so this is this one from Pablo Fernandez. I don't have any insight into this, Matt, so feel free if you don't either. But he says, how do you think non-American startups should forecast currency fluctuations if most companies are in the US are in the US paying in dollars? Yeah, that? that's <laughs> I have I have thought about it in finding currency is a setting in Summit for financial modeling. And I remember Got putting it. in the exchange rates for that and people can set, but then you know there's extra complication of, okay, now I'm ingesting Stripe data. Every payout has its own current. So I have I've definitely thought about this and actually Risk Pulse was a risk factors company. So currency risk, quick way to think about risk mm -hmm. in general is risks you can control and risks you can't. And then risks that are external or internal. And so if you want to do the classic kind of consultant quadrant thing, there's internal risks you can control, then there's internal risks you can't, right? So the second one is like the entire office comes down with mono, right? <laughs> can't really control it. You can try to mitigate it. It's internal. It's not going to fight other companies. Currency risk is external risk that you cannot control. You have no ability to control that. So the best thing you can do, but you can't predict it. Like it's a thing that's known about. This is not like completely unpredictable. So... <laughs> I think what you'd want to do, this is, and this is super dangerous, right? Because there is no precedent for hyperinflation per se. <laughs> like there is, but the question is like, how paranoid do you want to be is the initial gut check. And in that case, you'd want to look at they're paying in dollars. If dollars are strong, that's a good thing for you because the exchange rate is going to be in your favor and you're paying people locally. So that's a good thing. I think what you'd want to do is just look at Look at the future and look at history and ask yourself, like, what level of how much risk can you stomach as a founder and know that you will not be able to predict this thing when it happens. It could be a week from now. <laughs> so knowing you can't time it, how much risk can you stomach? And geez, when you do that, it actually sounds a lot like what's your approach to investing in public equities <laughs> or Bitcoin? Like, how do you feel about those things? And you can almost look at that and say, and I don't know how much control you have, but if you're a bootstrapper personal and private are pretty mixed. Like I would almost take the same sort of gut check there and say, yeah, I really don't do well with a sudden dramatic drop in my, <laughs> in that, right. I, to sleep well at night, I need X. And that, maybe that then can relate back to something you've done before. And then the rest is no one in the world can do the rest of the homework assignment, which is now predict what it's going to be. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think this ties into a conversation I was having with in tiny seed slack with some founders, someone said, how many months of payroll or how many months of exp of company expenses yep. do you keep in the bank? You know, should I, should, the question was how much should I? And the answer of course is it depends a little bit like you're saying, mm -hmm. depends a little bit on your risk tolerance. And I was thrown out like, I think two months is that's pretty tight and scary for me. And six months mm -hmm. starts to feel like 
that's a hell of a lot. Like as a SaaS app, six months of all expenses, like we would have to hit mm-hmm. a, a depression for you to, yeah. to need, truly need six months. So somewhere out there, but someone said like, I have 18 months of my monthly expenses and it's like, okay. So that's where you yeah. want to start reinvesting, whether it's in hiring or whether yeah. it's in more ads or a developer or whatever, but it yeah. does, it depends, but there's a reasonable range, right? It's not, the yeah. range is not one to 20 months. It's probably Two or yeah. three up to, I'd say six. And if you're venture funded, it's a different story, but bootstrap, mostly bootstrap. Mm-hmm. Is, I think in that yeah. Range. Yep. All right. So I actually have a question for you about if you're still in microconf on air channel, please, you know, feel free to toss another one in. It's about freemium. And cause this is a question that comes up a lot. Should I try freemium? Does freemium work? And of course we know it depends. It works in certain instances and there's certain criteria mm-hmm. and such you've basically had a free plan, I believe, since you launched and you still do, but you've made a lot of adjustments to it and you've moved the free line around. Do you have any nice learnings that you've had from that? You've now had two products with freemium plans, to be honest, because RiskPulse was free yeah. for a while with no paid plan, then you implemented it in a yeah. paid plan. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the reason to go free at the beginning, and this could be in early access, let's say you're in early access. I, I actually... <laughs> I'll, let me just talk about how I've operated and I've learned basically. So this is not gospel and we, we know this, but just want to preface that anyway. The reason I like free at the beginning is because it allows me to not put an artificial governor or throttle on learnings or insights. I know that I need feedback from as many people as possible to make this product incredible and to serve, to figure out who my segment is, who am I even serving? Like how... What is the opposite of freemium, right? Or free, it's having a price. How do you have a price? Your value, how do you know your value? You gotta know who you're serving. How do you know you're serving? So it's this vicious cycle of like, in the earliest days, it's, yeah, I realized you could put a number on it. And I think that's probably the, the fallback positioning is, I know it's not the right number, but I'm gonna put a number on it. I could get philosophical and say, what is it? So my, <laughs> what are you putting the number on? Seats, why? So I've always been free in the beginnings. The, with Storm Pulse, we were actually free for too long. And our, our desire to be free, our appetite for being free, I think exceeded the market size. So he, here's a thought experiment. If you're doing freemium, as Patrick Campbell says, to own the leads, if you now, if you get to the point where you own all the leads, <laughs> freemium is not really a, doing you much more now, if you will. Like if, if there's only a thousand people ever going to buy this product and you have a thousand free users, <laughs> Like your focus now should be on monetizing those users because you've exhausted the market. So it is possible to get ahead of yourself and give too much away and essentially lose that lose sight of the benefit, which is I want to have this really wide funnel and I want to have the email addresses of everybody. As I like to say, though, like you're always going to have a free plan. So it, it might be a, a it might be a newsletter you're on the hook to send every month. It might be a podcast you're producing. It might be, we all are giving out free content and samples all the time. So my approach with Summit has been, I'd rather work on product than work on, and I do a podcast, but I'd rather work on product than work on a marketing website, these materials, these are like, I've just chosen that as my marketing material because I feel like I'm really comfortable in product and I can deliver a great product experience and it's in the same headspace as the rest of what I'm doing. So I basically chose product as the free offering. As, sales, <laughs> when you have a sales team and they're talking to people on the phone, that is not free. And the marginal cost of a person being on the phone with somebody to try to negotiate a, a, a deal 
is very expensive. So when I look at non-freemium plays, I just remind people, like if you're a bootstrap and you have very limited resources, it's a lot cheaper to give a little bit of product away for free than to hire a salesperson or even to use your own time. Just at least think about that cost structure of, oh yeah, you're right. The 16 hours I spent on the phone with sales prospects this week wasn't free. I gave it away for free, but it cost me something. I'd rather have thousands of people or hundreds of people using the product and not be in those high touch conversations, at least right now as the founder, because I just think product is higher leverage. So all I can say is realize that in order to get people's attention in 2020 and 2021, you're going to give something away for free. If it's not product, what is it? And what is that costing you? And, and be honest with yourself, is that actually free? Because <laughs> it's, it's probably not. <laughs> Everything costs something. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, sir. We have one question to wrap us up because we're at time, but it's from Patrick Foley. He says, easy plug, what does Summit do? At what stage in my business is it for me? I don't get the answer to both of these questions from your landing page, winky face. So <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. The new landing page is coming in Q1 cool. as I finish the wheel that we talked about. Yeah, easy plug. If you've ever sat down and tried to build a financial forecast for your business, in a spreadsheet and you've experienced the joy of doing that and the benefit, which there is, but then you've also experienced the pain and frustrations of having to maintain it, update it, or even worse, tell somebody else what all the numbers mean, <laughs> then you understand where Summit fits in. So Summit is a replacement for that Google Sheet or that Excel sheet that you would otherwise build from scratch. If you have a spreadsheet like that already, I'm happy to look at what you've got and try to translate it into the summit world. But really where I want to help founders is get started on that journey of forecasting. And I will say this, the more I've thought about it, financial modeling properly as a CFO does is a significant undertaking. We don't start there, but you know, you start with expense forecasting, which is budgeting. You start with goal setting, which is forecasting. You start with product management, which is predicting the return on investing in product. So the funny thing is in your mind or scenario planning, what if we run out of runway? So I would actually say this as a founder, you're probably forecasting in four ways already. Summit is a way of doing that in a product instead of in your head. And I'd love for people to try it out. <laughs> awesome. We have another question, but I'm going to point them to our recent conversation on startups for the rest of us because I cool. think it an answers it. But Brendan Andrade says, when moving from Summit V1 to V2, there was there a key insight that drove you toward a more flexible tool or was it more that you that your refactor led yeah. you naturally in that direction? And Matt and I dug into that as episode, I believe it's 516 of Startups for the Rest of Us. You can just search for Wensing on the website. And Noah Bragg says, in closing, really like how you're thinking about free plan, new way to think of it for me. Got to spend something on marketing, so might as well be product if that's what you're good at. Sir, Matt Wensing, thanks so much for joining me. Folks want to keep up thanks with you. Rob. Are thanks, guys. Matt Wensing on Twitter. And of course, use summit.com. There's a free plan. So you can sign <laughs> up and check it out if you want to. Thanks that's again. Right. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for joining me today, me and Matt. That was a great conversation. <laughs> I'm searching around for my outro. Oh boy. All right. Too many windows open. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Eastern time, same time, same place. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out. And thanks to Basecamp and Hay and Stripe, all three of them. They're our headline partners for this year with Microconf. And I look forward to chatting with you. Oh, it won't be next week because of Thanksgiving, but the week after. I will see you with Mr. Lars Lofgren for more Q&A.